King Solomon uh, was honoring to God so much that God asked him and said, I will give you the one thing you want. What would you like from me? Ask it and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, I want your wisdom. I want a dose of wisdom. Now I find this particularly peculiar considering that out of all the things you could ask for, and especially in a church like this, where we see the signs and wonders, we see healings, and we see prophetic words, we see all this power and this authority, and we see the miraculous happen here. For Solomon to not want to see that, but rather first, the only thing he wanted was wisdom. And so as I began to study a little bit more about miracles and the miraculous, how many of you guys could use a little bit more miracle in your life? Anybody? Right? How many could use a time where it's like, oh no, this can't happen, and then God makes it happen. You're like, wow, God, you made it happen. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed by what God does that seems impossible to me. Okay? And so Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, did Solomon miss the boat? Should he ask for power? Should he ask for more anointing? Should he ask for the miracle-working powers of the, bron of the bronze serpent where people got healed and delivered? Look, Solomon, the Old Testament, there were still miracle signs and wonders happening back then. I mean, there was burning bushes and dividing seas and plagues of locusts, okay? Like, stuff happened back then that was crazy. Uh, but healings and all that prophecy, and there were prophets, so all of that existed in the Old Testament. And here comes Solomon. And instead of saying, make me prophetic like my dad, Okay? Make me a mighty warrior like my dad. Instead, what he asked for is wisdom. So, in, as I started to study a little bit more about pushing into the kingdom principles of God moving on earth, which is the miraculous, I started to see why Solomon asked for that. Let me read this to you. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 11, it says this. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous power. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still yet another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each just as he determines. So as I read this, I started to realize, here's the stuff I want. Lord, miracles, let people get healed, let prophetic word come out. And yet, when I read this, the first spirit it lists is the message of wisdom. And so as I pressed in a little bit more to what God was saying, I turned to Isaiah chapter 11. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we talk about the different spirits of God himself. Okay, And it says this, in Isaiah chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse... From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So they're talking about Jesus here. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Well, what, what kind of spirit of the Lord? The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. So in both cases, when I'm looking at these things that come with the spirit, the, which, who, what's the spirit of God? Does anybody know? The Holy Spirit, right? That is the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Uh, we call, his name is not the, but it's just Holy Spirit, all right? It's not a title, it's his name. Holy Spirit, or you could say Ruach. Anybody say Ruach? Okay, that's, that's his name in Hebrew, Ruach, if you want to know. And the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of wisdom is what it lists first both times. 
So I find it very interesting that Solomon wanted wisdom. That both times we're talking about the spirit of God or the spirit of gifts of God. The miraculous starts with wisdom. So what is God trying to say? He's trying to say this. Wisdom is important. In fact, it might be the first thing. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit, operating in the supernatural without wisdom is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for you to make a train wreck of yourself. I have watched people who have operated in the gift of prophecy, who did not have any wisdom about their gift. And I watched them just completely destroy themselves so much that within a year or so, they weren't even believers anymore. Because they had just destroyed everything by not having wisdom when to open their mouth and when to shut it. Okay? When, God was, when you walk in a spirit of prophecy, there, and you'll see as you grow closer to God, the Lord will just tell you things about people. It doesn't always mean he wants you to go tell them. Okay? So when, when you walk like that, you can just see the signs above people's heads that tell you uh, about them. And it doesn't mean that you need to go and tell them, hey, I see right there that you, you're having some diarrhea issues this week. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> right? Like, so you have no wisdom, all right? See, you guys get it now. You're like, oh, okay, I'm with him now. I'm tracking. That would not, no, you don't say that. All right, so Proverbs 4, <laughs> Proverbs 4, 6 through 7 says this. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Now, you know he said that with a little sarcasm, right? He's like, the spirit, look, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom right? Hello? So the, per, per, okay, so what, what we read, the beginning of all wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord, right? You've read that before? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You've heard that before, all right? Oh, no, no, that's not wisdom. You shouldn't call me during service, right? Should I answer it? No, it's probably foreign. It's foreign. Nope, it's foreign. I can't answer that. It's where I preached this morning. We actually preached in Liberia. That's the pastor calling me. He doesn't realize we're having service right now. But the pastor from Liberia, we preached this morning in Liberia. God is doing great things all over the world through our ministry. Amen? Okay. See, so if any of you guys ever accidentally leave your phone on, you don't have to have that much shame. We're not that professional. It's all right. Okay. So get some wisdom. I should have muted my phone. That would have been wisdom. All right? Ah. I set that up. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.26 says it this way. Okay, Ecclesiastes, which is Solomon, says it this way. To the person who pleases him, meaning God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend all my time gathering up wealth just to give it away to somebody else because they were pleasing God and I wasn't. Amen? Any of you guys want to just hand it over? You can just hand it over right here. Just leave it right on the stage. Make it out to Pastor Ren. That's perfectly fine if you don't want to be wise. Okay? And you can just give it all over to me because I'm pleasing him. I'm giving my life away to him. So I know that as long as I give my life away to him, that I'm going to be pleasing to him. Okay? And there's some, some keys to how to please God that we may get into if we have some time here. All right? But to him who pleases God, God gives wisdom. So in order to get wisdom, we got to please God. All right? And Job 28, 28 says it this way. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So we learn a little bit more. So he who pleases God, 
And he who fears the Lord will have wisdom. So now we got some ideas on how to get wisdom. But it also says that to shun evil is understanding. Okay, so it's wisdom to shun evil. So that means if I look at your life, there should be some fruit from your life that tells me you are wise. You ever meet someone and all the fruit says, oh, you an idiot. You don't have to elbow your spouse. It's fine. It's fine. Don't do that. That's not nice. Okay. And you're, because everything they do, it just seems like they just rot everything they touch. And no matter what, they just keep going upside down and around and around and around. And they find themselves in the same circle over and over and over again. And you're like, man, you are not doing. And, and, you know, sometimes people just have things happen. Life happens, right? You can't help it when the stuff breaks down, right? Cars break down, you fix it, and then it breaks down again and it fixes, right? At some point, wisdom says get a new car, right? Get a better job so you can afford a new car. Get an education so you can get a better job. Like there's wisdom in that. You can't help it that the car breaks down, but you could help the fact that you never tried to succeed in life. And you're in a position now where you can't afford the car, right? But I bet you're paying for Netflix. But it's just 12 bucks or whatever, right? Add up 12 bucks over a couple of years. That might have been the repair on the car. I'm just saying, so you got to use wisdom. I'm not saying you can't have Netflix. I'm saying we got to be people that use wisdom. We have to be set apart for God. And, and so we understand that fear of the Lord, so there should be some change in us. If we fear God, if we believe his word, and we believe he expects us to be obedient, there'll be a shift in our life. And if we shun evil, it should be evident in our life. We should be able to see these things in our life. And so that should manifest itself through our blessings and through the increase over our life. Okay, so I want to talk about the four corners of the kingdom of God that allow us to see fruit from our life. So what can we do to walk out wisdom, to shun evil, to fear the Lord, and to press into what God has for us, to please the Lord? How can we do that? So I want to give you four pillars today that do that. The first one, these are going to seem real simple, guys. All right, I promise you'll be like, oh, okay. But I, I, I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. I want to give you a different perspective because I want to lay a foundation for what we're building here. And so I think that these are important to go over. The first one for building the kingdom of God is this, reading God's word. Oh, I got only amens instead of does. Okay, that's nice. Duh, right? But the word of God says it this way in James, or sorry, excuse me, Joshua 1.8 says it this way, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So how often does it say to, to meditate on his word, to read his word? Just all the time, right? Sometimes, occasionally, once a week, all the time. This is a daily thing that the Bible calls for. And I'm going to show you something that's going to shift the way you perceive reading God's word. But let me read this in James 1.21. says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Okay, so we're going to have a shift, a change in us. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. I think this is such an interesting verse. This idea, see a lot of us, what we do is we hear a verse. You, you just heard me read a verse. But maybe you just listened. Maybe it just hit your heart. Maybe you digested that and thought, mm, that's good. That's a good word. I, I can taste that. But it didn't really implant inside of you. There is a difference between hearing the word, reading the word, and having the word implanted in you. 
implanted is a big deal, okay? It is very different than consuming something. When you eat food, you consume it, you get the nutrients, and it leaves. But when something's implanted, it's there forever. It stays in you, okay? And the best way to describe that is through a transplant. Uh, I know that Larry's had a transplant. He had a liver transplant. And, and this is true of a lot of people that have had transplants before. They have a transplant. Before he had his transplant, he wasn't really a sweets guy. But whoever he got that liver from, oh, he liked his sweets, okay? He liked that, mm -mm, yum, yum, give me some, okay? And when Larry got that liver, all of a sudden, he's a sweet freak. I know how, to, like, Larry would be cranky, and i just throw him some candy, and he's like, mm -hmm. He turns into an instant sweetheart. It's just, I'm like, yeah. and he's never once been like, no, no, I'm trying to cut back. He's like, oh, <laughs> okay. So whatever, whoever's liver he got planted in him changed who he was. Okay, there's a shift in him. In fact, there's some studies right now that they're doing, as crazy as this sounds, where they've actually seen somebody that had a bone marrow transplant that their semen, the male semen, shifted to the transplant's DNA. It no longer had the original person's DNA. His DNA was no longer. So if, he, if he'd had a baby, it wouldn't be his DNA anymore. How crazy is that? They cannot register in his semen any DNA from him anymore, but only the bone marrow transplant. Okay, so what is planted deep in you has the ability to change you. How many of you guys would love to be able to get the word of God planted in you so deep that the only thing that came out of you was God and not you anymore? Was the Holy Spirit not you? Where you don't live, but he lives through you. The only thing that you can spread is God and Jesus to the world, not yourself. Not your hurt, not your disappointments, not your failure. Those are not the things we need to be spreading. But we need to be spreading the presence and spirit of God. Amen? Ooh, that's good. That's good right there, Pastor. You're preaching good. Okay? So we need to read the Word of God. And so what I did is I looked up some studies on reading the Word of God. And there was a recent study done by the Center for Bible Engagement. And they pulled over 40,000 people, okay, from ages 8 to 80. And they, they looked at what effect reading the Bible had on people, how often they read it, and what effect it would have. And so they looked at people that read the Scriptures one time a week. They opened up their Bible one time a week, which could count as today. You're hearing the word of God, we're, we're opening our Bibles, we're reading. So church can count as the one time a week in the study. And one time a week, they said, had negligible effect. They could not measure a difference between people that never read the Bible and people that read the Bible in the, the product of their life and what the effect it had on their uh, bad manners, bad morals, uh, bad situations, Okay. And, and so what they did is they looked at two times per week. And when they looked at two times per week, they found basically the same thing. There was no change. It had no effect on the person to read the Bible twice a week. So they looked at three times a week. And when they did that, the needle moved just a little. So it, it moved a little. There was a difference. But it wasn't anything to write home about. Okay? But when they looked at four times a week, they found something profound. When people engaged in reading their word of God four times a week, the numbers began to spike off the chart. Now, you would expect like one time a week, a little change, a little change at two, a little change at three, and, and four, it would go higher. But no, they found that when somebody read and got into the word at least four times a week, the numbers just all of a sudden took off. That was the point of change. That was the moment of shift. 
And let me explain those shifting numbers. What they found was that people that read their Bible at least four times per week, feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger dropped 32%. Feelings of bitterness in relationships, bitterness to their kids or their spouse or, or any of their relationships, dropped a whopping 40%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. People getting drunk dropped 57%. They had a lower odd of getting drunk. People having sex outside of marriage, 68% lower if they just open up their Bible four times a week. Not somebody preaching at them and telling them to do this and do that. Just reading the Word of God. 68%. Pornography engaging in pornography dropped by 61%. Remember, reading it three times a week had almost no effect on that. But that fourth time, that was the moment of breakthrough. Four, 61%. People that gambled, 74% reduction in odds of gambling. Now, on the flips, two-thirds of people were like, I don't think I should gamble, right? I mean, there's not 50 scriptures on that, is there? So there's just the shifting that you see happening in them when they read the Word of God. And, and on the flip side of that, they say a positive increase at four times per week. Sharing your faith jumped 228%. Discipling people jumped 231%. Does that sound like God's math to you? The curses are for three to four generations, but God's blessings are for a thousand generations? right? The, the, the decrease of sin, but the increase of God just was exponentially over and above what God is doing. So reading your Bible matters. So what they found was coming to church has benefits, and I'll share those, but it, it, had, it was nothing compared to what happened when people would actively engage in reading their Bible. Reading their Bible was the fundamental thing that really, really pushed them into change understanding God, learning more about him, growing in the intimacy towards him. Now, all the things factored in, and they all had a shift, going to church and praying, those factored in. But let me tell you what, what that tells me is that we don't come to church, we become the church. So we got to stop coming to church and we got to become the church. That's the difference. So if you came here for life change, this is a starting place, but you need at least three more this week. If you're not doing it and you go, I go to church every week and I don't feel any different. I just showed you why. I just gave you the fruit. So the second pillar that I want to discuss this morning, if I have some time, is prayer. We have to be people that pray. Now, I want to define prayer for you so you understand. Uh, because I've talked a lot about in the last couple of weeks about how praise is important. Okay, and how important it is. Prayer is, th is made up of three things. Communion, where we talk to God in relationship. Lord, I'm just, you know, just hanging with you, man. Lord, look at this traffic today. Oh, my goodness. You see this guy, all these people with these cars. Just talking to him. The same way that you talk to that person in the car, you talk to him. So it is not a request. It is communication, communion with God. The second is requests. When you ask God, Lord, I need your help. I need a blessing. A lot of us think prayer is just calling out the wish list. Okay, God is not Santa Claus. He doesn't want a letter from you once a year with your requests. He wants a relationship with you. And the third one is praise. 
The Bible says that when we pray, come with thanksgiving. When we praise God. So when I'm saying, Lord, thank you. You are wonderful. You are mighty. That's prayer. So anytime we're up here and we're singing, well, I want nothing else but you, Lord. I want nothing else but you. That is a prayer of song through our hearts. That is a form of prayer. So praise, worship is a form of prayer. It is a form of relationship and communion with God. Okay? So prayer encompasses all those things. So you want to know the science of some prayer? Anybody? No? Okay, we'll just move on from it. Everyone's like, my brain hurts. I can't do the science. It hurts. I don't know all the numbers. All right. So um, a, a doctor from Harvard, okay, all you guys know Harvard is a good college, right? And you wouldn't call any of these colleges deeply religious, okay? This is not studies done by a church. This is done by secular universities. And a lot of these were done by secular universities. She said basically this. I'm not going to read it to you the way she says it because she says things like, it's clear from the correlation study within the epidemiology data that the positive relationships exist between religious and spiritual practices and health outcomes on varying different de degrees. You guys got that? Okay. Let me, let me interpret that for you. Okay. It's this. It's that. Let me back up. It's apparent that prayer has a positive outcome on people who do it, okay? And that a relationship exists between people who pray and the outcome of their condition, all right? So what she said is that they found that not only did people who had health conditions who began to pray get better over every condition they studied, people that prayed got better more often, but they found that people that had intercessory prayer on their behalf a group of people prayed for them, even if they did not pray, got better at the same rate. That those people also got better. Whether they were praying or someone was praying for them, the Harvard determined that prayer actually worked whether or not God is real. They didn't get into religion. They just realized that, okay, we don't understand it, but prayer seems to work and the numbers don't lie. They found that people who pray for four straight weeks drank about half as much alcohol as the participants in a controlled study who did not pray. Wow. Four straight weeks. Those who were instructed to pray for their friends compared with those who were not were found to be happier about making sacrifices, uh, less driven to win arguments, and to feel greater in unity with their friends. So if you're like, the, I got to know everything right, you haven't been praying for So somebody, if you know a know-it-all that's like, uh-uh, I'm going to tell you how it is, they have not been praying for you. And like, oh, you always think you're right. You have not been praying for me. Oh, dang it. <coughs> okay, that's how you know. That's how you know. All right, so they found that, um, that prayer was, was a, a significant factor, but this study was the best one that I found. All right, they did this study, and what they did is they needed to bring people to mental depletion. Okay, so, so emotional exhaustion. Let me just put it that way. Uh, and so they did, it was, it's called a, a cognitive depletion, where they were just draining them emotionally and mentally. And so what they did is they made them watch a funny video on YouTube. Okay? And in the funny video on YouTube, they weren't allowed to laugh. They weren't allowed to smile. They weren't allowed to have any emotional reaction. They were supposed to contain all of their emotion and show no display. 
How many of you guys are like me? You're a little child, and when something's funny, you're like, <laughs> and you're totally, okay, yeah, so some of you like that, and keeping that in and being appropriate is not always the easiest way. So these participants had to just, some of you are like, oh, that's no big deal. I got no sense of humor. I'm a grumpy person. Well, good for you. But these people wanted to laugh, and they weren't allowed to laugh, and so it causes your frontal lobe to just be completely mentally exhausted. All right, and so then they did what's called a snope, um, sorry, a stroop test. They did a stroop test, and what the stroop test is, is they take words written in the same color ink as what the word says. So if it says red, it's written in the ink of red. And then if the word says blue, it was written in the color of blue, all right? And you read through all of these, about 20 of them. I did the test last night. I failed. It was wonderful. Um, but... <laughs> You read it all the way through, and then you hit done, and it gives you your time. And then it goes to a second picture where it has mixed up the words with the color, and you're supposed to name the color of the ink out loud as you go. So it says red, but it's written in blue. So you're supposed to say blue, right? So, so it takes, so the first one I did in about 16 seconds, and the second one took me 37 seconds, okay? So it was a lot longer, which is the average, okay? So, because you have to really, uh, you have to try because your brain is trying to rationalize which one to say. And so, what they found is let me put it real simple it is easier to run one mile when you haven't ran. It is very difficult to run a mile when you just ran 30. Does that make sense? If you just ran 30 miles, running another mile seems difficult. So that's depletion. You are exhausted. So their brains were exhausted from the first exercise, so much so that when they did this Stroop test, they failed it exponentially after the first one compared to just doing it by itself. So everyone follow me? So what would take me 37 seconds if I had tried the first test might have taken me over a minute because I was mentally exhausted. So what they did is they wanted to see if, if prayer made a difference. And so they asked people to pray for five minutes before the study was conducted, both of them. They found that the people that spent five minutes of prayer performed exactly to the standard on the Stroop test as if they had not been mentally exhausted by the first one. There was zero evidence that the first one had mentally exhausted them, which proves that prayer is a recipe to stay in rest with God. If you are exhausted, it's because your prayer life is exhausted. If you are tired, it's because you haven't been waking up and praying. Your ability to pray will directly affect your ability to think clearly and to handle what's in front of you. I'm too tired to pray. I'm That's why you're tired. That's why you can't keep going and going. Because you don't have the Energizer Prayer Bunny. Okay, just keep praying. It could be like Dory the fish, just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, okay? She's right there. She keeps praying, right? If any of you guys have been up here at the altar and you say you're not healed yet, she keeps praying, she keeps praying. Right? She's not mentally exhausted. Maybe you are, I don't know. All right, so that, that's a huge reason to pray more often. So people that prayed for four straight weeks every single day saw massive improvement. That's amazing. The third one I want to discuss is gathering with his holy people. Going to church. And I'm going to try to get through this pretty quick, okay? Gathering with his holy people. Acts 2, 42 
through 47 says it this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they went to church. Okay, I'm your apostle, teaching. They went to church and they fellowshiped together. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, we're going to talk about the food part in that. But all four of the things I'm talking about today are in this verse. Everyone was filled with awe. So when they did these four things, all of a sudden something shifted. Now remember, I want to back up. Remember, the Holy Spirit has already fallen by Acts 2. So these people have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So what they see is they're filled with the Holy Spirit, much like you are, and then they begin to see an increase because they start to do principles that draw the Holy Spirit's power and authority out in your life. So everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. So you have this system here. They're eating together. They're breaking bread together. They're praying together. They're meeting together. They're listening to the apostles' teachings. They're praying, and they're also giving, okay? So if you want to add a fifth one in there, they did not hold back what was due. They took care of each other's need. They were tithers. These are the things that made them unique, that stood out, that pleased God, and let wisdom come into their life. So how often do they meet together in the temple courts? It says every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Every day. I'm not saying we got to be at church every day. But do you think maybe the studies showed very little significance with people that went to church at least once a month? That the study, if they studied people that went to church four times a month at least, that it might have the exact same impact as four times of reading the word? Do you think that maybe, perhaps, that God's word is God's word and it does not return void, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that when he says meeting together, do not forsake the gathering and assembling together, that maybe he's trying to give us a breakthrough? Maybe he's trying to give us a victory? Maybe he's trying to give us a tool to have winning in our life? And if praying four times, or reading the word four times a week, and praying continually can shift us, then maybe going to church a little bit more often will do it too. Maybe being involved with other believers, surrounded by people, breaking bread, being encouraged, being prayed for, intercessory prayer, hearing the word, being involved in a community of like-minded people whose faith rises together where two or three or more gather and agree upon anything. Maybe there's an impact to your life. Rather than just stepping in here once in a while and then saying, I don't know why my life isn't different. I came to church once, you didn't pray, you didn't praise, you don't read, but you thought that maybe my 35-minute, hour-long message was supposed to change everything. All I'm doing is equipping you with tools that you have to follow up with and use. If I hand you a hammer, it does you no good unless you swing it. You have to be, you have to hit the nail. You have to swing it. I can't swing it for you because I get tired, all right? I'm not built for construction, so we're not going to go into that. All right. So we want to get together, right? I'm not doing plumbing. I did it once with Ted. I'm done. Uh, that was enough. I did it once. I can say I did it. I was humble. I fixed someone's shower. I don't fix my own. 
I call, I call Ted and make him feel bad for me. Um, okay, so going to church. You want to know some statistics on what church does for you on going to church? Yeah. <laughs> That's better. And some of you are like, it makes me real sleepy and I got a good nap in. That's what I do. All right. Going to church boosts your immune system. Studies show that you have lower blood pressure and it helps you to live longer. The risk of dying, listen to this. How many of you guys want to live? Anybody want to live? Listen to this. A study showed that the risk of dying by people that go to church regularly is 20 to 30% less. Do you want to guess which ones were the 20 and which ones were the 30? 20 was the ones that went occasionally. 30 were the ones that were there when the doors were open. Okay? You want to live longer? Some of you are like, I hate my life right now. Why would I want to do that? That's dumb. I'm not coming to church anymore and prolong this mess. <laughs> oh, well. Sorry to lose you. All right, so 56% were more likely to have a positive outlook on life and 27% less likely to be depressed when they went to church every week. Okay? Depression was 22 per, I mean, it was a total of 22% to 27% lower in the study. Now, a study uh, in the University of Colorado, or excuse me, Chicago. Colorado's like in the middle, but Chicago. Does anybody think there are believers in Chicago? I'm sure there's a few Christians up in Chicago. Somebody say something online, let me know there's believers up there, okay? All right, but... Typically, it's not a very religious city, would you say? All right? I'm not getting political on it. I'm just saying it's not very religious. Okay? Everyone knows it's political leaning, that you, don't, you can be on both sides and be a Christian. Um, recent University of, of Chicago studies showed that this, basically, <laughs> all right, listen to this one. Cover, cover your children's ears if you don't want to hear this. Listen to this. Oh, you guys are about to be like, I'm cut. Look, men, husbands, I got husbands in the room, raise your hand. Pay attention to what I'm about to say, okay? This study showed that the women were polled and they said conclusively that they had a higher rate of, let's see how to say this. I'm not going to say it the way they says it. You know where I'm going right now? It's, somebody needs to play some music for me a little bit. Okay, I'm not going to say the way it says it here. But basically they said that the women were more satisfied sexually when they went to church every week. It says this, when they went to church religiously. Religiously was the term that this study used because they're, you know, they're from Chicago. They don't know, right? It's relationally, okay? Thank you. But when they went to church religiously, they had a higher percentage of satisfaction of intimate times with their husband then there it goes said it the right time. I should have said it that way the first time right um, then previously okay and people that did not go to church had a less so the world always tells you oh no you got to have the new flavor of the week to keep it hot and spicy right you got these people going around because they get bored of the old thing right and they want something new and that's how you got to keep it funky fresh right you got to keep it real all right you got to keep it you got to keep it new Nobody wants it funky, okay? Um, you got to keep it real. No, I'm going to keep going. This is going to get good right here, okay? I should just be skipping this, but I have that, you know, non-wisdom going right now that just says, keep going. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. All right? 
So they found that they, were, they had better. Okay, and what's crazy about that is this is not the only study. In fact, there was a study done by Stanford University in 1940 that said the exact same thing. And another one done by 19, in 1970 by Red Book Magazine Survey, um, which uh, found that it was, it was every single time women who went to church religiously had a better experience with their husband, responded better. So if your husband has been telling you you're at church too much, you want them there. Can I get an amen? When your wife says, come on, honey, I don't want to go without you. Oh, I'm coming with you, baby. Let's go. We're going to church. We're going to church. We go to church. Look at me. I'm praying on the front row. Right? If your marriage is a little stale, find out the extra services we have and start coming to those. I'm just saying. It's science. It's science. Honey, we need to go to church more. I know some of you are going to go home and be like, we need to go to church more. That was my point. Okay, so there we go. I win. I win. You don't show up to church, it's on you, bro. All right, that's all I'm saying. All right, it's on you. All right, the fourth one real quick. I want to get through this because I'm making, I'm making good time here. I want to talk about, the fourth one is we talked about breaking bread. Now, there is a time to break bread and there's a time to break away from bread. And the disciples and the apostles understood the difference. Time to eat and a time to fast. Breaking bread and breaking away from bread. And it says that the apostles gathered together daily and they broke bread. But it also tells us in Acts that there was a time when they needed to have uh, good judgment. When they needed to have wisdom about picking leaders or picking spots. So they were asking God about something significant. And it says that those moments when they were mourning or troubled or, or needing good wisdom, that they would then fast and pray. They would fast and pray. So when they needed an extra shot of wisdom in their arm, which I should have fasted, uh, you know, this morning. I did, I fasted this morning, so I'm going to have to go back to the scriptures and find out why it's not working because I just spent 10 minutes on that. I actually think you guys enjoyed it, so it was wisdom. So um, some of you were like, oh my, and inside you're like, hee, 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 come on, don't lie. Don't even lie. I've seen your Facebook posts. Don't try to come in here and act in holy. I see what you post. All right, so, right? You think you deleted it, but everything lives on the internet forever, okay? All right, so some of you are like, I saw faces like, he's talking about me. The ones laughing the most, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of you now. It was just Billy for a second. All right, so. <laughs> All right, so there's a time to break away from and fast. And so with this new year, we have a new opportunity to, to get some more wisdom. And so asking God what we're supposed to do with our 2020. Lord, what's this year supposed to look like for me? What am I supposed to press into? What am I supposed to grow into? How am I going to be more intimate with you? How am I going to have breakthrough and victory in this year? How can I break through all the levels that I couldn't in 2019? I'm tired of being this way. Fasting might be the option. Pray. If you've been praying, you've been reading, you've been going to church, Let's pick up fasting. Let's add a tool into our tool belt that will help us to do that. So the, the apostles understood that fasting was a great way to humble themselves or increase wisdom in times that they needed uh, uh, exponential understanding. 
okay? And, and so, oh, I, I didn't get one, one I, I thought that this one was important about going to church. The last statistic on that, and I'll tell you some statistics on fasting. But the last one on church was this. Students that went to church regularly, whether they liked church or not, whether they were engaged or not, they just sat there and were miserable. Students got, on, on average, 0.144 higher on their GPAs. They were smarter just by sitting there going, Mom made me go. Okay? So if you wonder if you're doing any good, parents, you are. Okay? Amen? Amen. So let me give you the statistics on fasting. All right, and I've talked about fasting before. You got to go back and watch my message on fasting if you want a full thing, because I'm just going to throttle through this. Three days of fasting completely renews and resets your immune system. It completely gives you a brand new immune system. So if some of you are like, I always get sick, fast for three days. Your immune system will reset itself, new cells will grow, you'll be healthier. Okay, some studies have shown that fasting can help decrease levels of inflammation in your body and help promote better health. Inflammation is usually the root of all disease. It's the core of what keeps disease piling up in you. So fasting reduces the inflammation, okay? Anybody in here that's diabetic or knows someone that's diabetic, this one's important. Studies have now found that fasting can decrease the levels of uh, inflammation, but it also will uh, uh, improve blood sugar control, which is especially useful for those at risk. So some of you guys, what you've been told, if you're diabetic, what you've been told, if you don't eat, your blood sugar will spike up and you have to put something sweet in your mouth. Okay? Let me explain to you what that is. It's called a drug addiction. A meth addict, if he doesn't have meth every eight hours, goes into withdrawal. You are going into sweets withdrawal. The study found that if you will just fast for three days, your blood sugar will come under control. Chris uh, verified that the other day. He was talking about that, about how he has that problem with his blood sugar. And the first day, it was at what, what was it, what, 90 the first day? And then the second day, it spiked up to 120. And he went, oh boy, I better look at this. I've been told I got to eat or drink something. And he said by the third day, it returned down to normal and stayed there of fasting. Amen? Amen. So who knew you're just broke and can't afford no food can save your life? Amen? All right. And I tell that to people. Look, the Bible, you can fast for 40 days. When someone comes to me and complains that they need 50 bucks, I need 50 bucks, oh, my bills are behind and stuff. And it's like, well, did you eat yesterday? And they're like, well, yeah. So you don't really need 50 bucks. Because I can save a couple hundred dollars this month by fasting. Like, I can do it, and my body can make it. So if you walk in here and you could, and you have a few pounds to, if you're, if you're a stick, if you're a little bone, okay, I'm going to give you the 50 bucks. But if you're walking around and it's like, oh, you need to fast, I'm not giving it to you. Okay, you need to go fast. <laughs> I need 50 bucks. I bet you if I look at your bank account and see how many times you went to McDonald's, I'll find your 50 bucks. Starbucks, whatever you want to put it there. McDonald's is going to sue me now. You're just tainting us. We disproved that fast food documentary. All right, so, so you get your blood pressure under control. I'm just, I'm just being fun, guys, okay? If you don't know me already, you know I'm not really being mean. I'm just being fun. Um, so one study actually found that the levels of bad cholesterol and blood triglycerides, that might go over some people's head, but the bad cholesterol, all right, was reduced by 25 and 32%. 
okay? And there was a decrease in blood pressure and a lower risk of heart disease by people who fast. Amen. And, and a lot of these studies, they have different percentages because one studied people that fast every other day, intermittent fasting, like they'll go one day and then the next day. Some of them were people that fasted three days in a row, you know, once a month, three days. And so it made a huge impact on it. There was another study that suggested that fasting may protect, improve the outcome of conditions such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Skip a meal. You won't get the shakes. You'll lose the shakes. Okay? Some of you guys need to fast. Some of you are walking around with brain fog all the time. Like you can't think clear and you're wondering why. And I'm telling you, try fasting for a couple of days. Your cognitive ability of your brain may increase. Okay, it, the body is amazing. When it, when it goes into starvation mode, it begins to get itself lean. It begins to say, hey, we only need to have the right functioning order. Let, let me put it this way. None of y'all, not none of y'all, there's a few of you here that, that are uh, uh, OCD. But some of y'all are guilty of this. The only time you clean is when someone's coming over. Right? Amen. She's like, uh-huh, proud. Right? But when someone says, hey, are you home? I'm going to stop by. You're like, ah! ah! Right? <laughs> right? And that's when you start praying, Jesus, don't let them know I'm such a boss. Love. Okay. So, right? That's when you just throw it all in the bedroom. Throw it all in the bedroom. You're not allowed to go to my bedroom. That's weird. That's weird. It's the personal space thing, not a messy thing. Yeah, it's a messy thing. Um, okay, so you do that. Well, when you fast, your body does the same thing. Your body's been lazy about picking up all the broken cells and the junk around, all right? So your cells are not functioning at full capacity. But when you fast, they go, oh my gosh, something's wrong. We don't have, we don't have energy coming in. Broken cells, you got to go. And they start cleaning house in your body. They get rid of all the depleted broken cells that are only working at partial. And they br bring in new cells that are working at full capacity because there's a problem. Okay, there is a situation. It's kind of like the United States. We were not built as a military power in World War II. The Japanese, they weren't afraid of our military might. We actually weren't a military might at the time. What they were afraid of is that we had the capacity to become a military might. And so Japan said this, I've, I fear we've awakened the sleeping giant. Okay, that was a statement that the Japanese emperor made. I fear we've awakened the sleeping giant because he knew that America had enough industrial going on in it that if they just shifted to war, it would be a real big problem. And guess what? They were right, all right? And we shifted into that. There was a need, a crisis that happened that made us shift into becoming a military might, okay? Whatever side of that you're on, that's the facts. That's the hard facts, okay? And so what happens is when you fast, you're, you, you're telling your body there's a crisis and it shifts into making sure that everything of your body is functioning at full capacity to handle and navigate the depletion of, of, of resources coming in. Does that make sense? So starting out our year fasting, starting out this year fasting is important. So we're talking about beginning to set a tone for 2020 where we are walking in wisdom. And the way we do that right now is by these four pillars right now. It's by praying, reading our word, being in church so that we can hear and learn and grow with each other. And by going that extra mile in fasting, these are the things that the apostles did, as well as give and tithe. That's what it says in Acts 2. They became obedient to God's word. They feared the Lord, and they understood that his word did not return void. 
His word came back. It was sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce through bone and marrow. It was possible to do all these things. 